0: so give me a little bit of time. Sorry. Um, we got questions. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but, um, I'll need to mentally transition here, so um, hopefully we'll, we'll get that done here in a few minutes, but probably take a, a little bit of time. Why don't we introduce everybody? This is clearly meant to be more of a discussion and uh, interactive, so I definitely don't want to just talk at you guys for the next fifty five minutes. So why don't we all introduce ourselves? Hey, Daniel White, uh, Monument, Colorado. Uh, I
1: got a whole testimony in this area of moral purity as so ongoing. Uh, leading a moral purity study. I'm at my church right now, so anyway you know, just uh, always basically,
0: very this all in and security. So, yeah, that's the Jordan Good. Jordan, we're just doing quick introductions. I'm Jordan. Thank you. Where uh, it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we <We're> from, <laughs> <you're> from Ohio. <laughs> I'm
2: from Ohio. Okay. Come hold it
3: against me. Thomas am I live in
2: Jeff Backlitt, Reno, Nevada. Ethan Creston, Colorado Springs.
0: Bob Cresson, also Carl Springs.
2: Kean Oliver, Houston, Texas.
0: Michael Oliver, Houston, Texas. Ryan Lyle, Colorado Springs. Cole, and Michael Olson from Phoenix, Arizona. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't we pray? Uh, Daniel,
1: come and pray. Yeah, Lord, I thank you for uh, the men who have gathered here this weekend. I thank you for Micah the talk that he just gave they display displayed clarity uh, regarding the word. I pray that we bring that same kind of clarity and conviction in here. Well, it's just a, a hard issue to talk about. So much, um, so much shame guilt wrapped up in the uh, pursuit of failures in the area of moral purity. Lord, I pray that... Uh, to believe the gospel, to live in the light, the miracle uh, of the Holy Spirit that has been purchased for and lives in us, and ultimately to make disciple makers, Lord, as we uh, seek to to live out of who Christ, what Christ has done for us, and who He is for us. Pray these things
0: alright so we're going to talk about sex this study actually is, um, that here? is it's moral purity but I, it really is going to be I think more of a discussion just about sex in general and the, the role of sex in our lives um, in, in trying to view it from a biblical perspective so I want to start off with Genesis, Genesis 1.26. Um, somebody want to read that? Actually, go 26 through 28. Then God
1: said, Let us make like man in our own image after our likeness. Let him have the over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock. over all the earth, and there creep, were creepy things that creep on the earth. So God created man in His own image, in the image of God He created him, male and female. Created this. God blessed them, and God said to them, "Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth."
0: Cool. So I said in the last session, you know, these verses in day in, in Genesis one are foundational. We got just a, a handful of verses here that are describing humans uh, on day six and this is important information and I think a lot of times we we read over this stuff and don't put a lot of thought into it but this is foundational stuff and I, I really meant to look here at 27 and 28 one God created us male and female and I suspect for most of the history of mankind we've taken that for granted for some reason but note that we live in the very first generation that does not believe this that thinks that gender is fluid that it's not binary no generation has ever believed that before so we're in uncharted territory there second uh, as we go to verse 28 he said God tells Adam and Eve be fruitful I grabbed that sorry <laughs> uh, be fruitful and multiply guys you do not have to go to medical school to know what that means it means go have sex Uh, It's the only way to obey that command. And the point I want to make with that is just simply that sex is good. Um, God created sex, and he meant sex to be a great thing in marriage between men and women. So sex can absolutely be abused and done in a wrong way. And when, that, when it's done outside of God's boundaries, it's one of the most awful things in this life, leading to some of the most awful consequences. Um, but when it's done right and done within his boundaries, it is just a tremendous, awesome, wonderful gift from God. And uh, um, so I want to, you know, I think a lot of the Christian talks on sex that I grew up going to, there was a negative component to it. And I don't mean to communicate that at all, for sure. If it's done outside of God's boundaries, it is absolutely awful. And we need to do everything we can to set ourselves up to avoid that and, and obey God in this area. But when it's done um, in His boundaries the way He wants us to, it's just an awesome, awesome thing. So I want to just have that kind of be an initial premise um, that we start with. And hopefully everything else that we, we talk about is, is with that in mind. Also, want to make the case so so sex is good. Sex was created by God. Next thing I want to say is that sex is entirely the act of sex is entirely unique in the human experience. So what I mean by that? I mean that there is nothing like it physically, and there is nothing like it spiritually. So what makes sex so unique? Pleasure. Oh, I'm sorry, Richard. No, you're fine. Um, for sure pleasure, but there are other things in life that are pleasurable. Thank you. Um, this is a, a unique pleasure for sure. Um, but but there are there are lots of things that are pleasurable in life. I think yeah, there is a union that happens in sex that is unlike anything else in the human experience so let's flip a chapter we were in Genesis 1 let's go to Genesis chapter 2 sorry one more thought on the, the previous thing about sex being good let me read to you Genesis 4 1 so remember in Genesis you have Genesis 1 is the seven day creation Genesis 2 is kind of another viewpoint on creation Genesis 3 is the fall So, Genesis 4 is really the start of the history of mankind in Genesis. And the very first verse in Genesis chapter 4 says, Now the man had relations with his wife, Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. So, basically saying, Adam and Eve had sex, and they conceived, and they gave birth to Cain. So that's how humanity starts. And that's not rocket science. You guys all know that. But just, I just think it's wonderful to see this in the place of God's, God's plan and, and how central this is to what God had planned for us as humans. So, sorry, that was just uh, going back to my first point. Now, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Somebody read that.
4: For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his
0: wife, and they shall become one flesh. Cool. Now, that verse, turns out, forms the foundation for basically every New Testament teaching about marriage and sex. Uh, virtually all of them quote, maybe not all of them, uh, but most places where you see a New Testament teaching about sex, they're, they're starting with this as the starting point. And it's a, just a fact. Uh, that It's a, a great, Jerry uses the word presupposition or a premise. It's just you're making an argument and here's this great truth from the Old Testament from Genesis 2 that we're going to put in here and build our argument on it. So, Matthew 19, 5, Mark 10, 7, and 8, 1 Corinthians 6:16, 6, Ephesians 5, 31, all of those reference this verse. So what does this verse say? A man leaves his father and mother and he's joined with his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So he's talking about marriage but that's also a verse about sex. If it's not obvious to you that it's a verse about sex there, when Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 6, he quotes this verse and it's 100% clear. We're going to go to that, that passage uh, in a bit, uh, but it's 100% clear he's talking about sex. Um, so he's, he certainly takes this verse as a verse about sex. And what does the verse say? Man and woman are joined physically and that's where i think there is a uniqueness in sex is that there is just simply no other physical act that we do where there's a there's a union between two souls two two bodies sorry so it's a physical union that is unique in the human experience furthermore we learn in the new testament that there's a spiritual union that takes place and i think it's just the way it is are we have bodies and we have souls that's the two things that make up humans and our bodies it's the physical stuff it's the stuff that you can feel it's matter souls is the stuff that's not physical but it's every bit as real it's that your thoughts it's your heart it's your will it's your mind it's it's your inner man Uh, is one way that the Bible describes it in the New Testament. That's your soul. Your soul is housed physically in your body. Right? And so when a man and woman have sex, there's a physical union, but there's also a spiritual union that takes place. And there simply is just no other example in the human experience of of a spiritual union between a man and a woman, or between any two people. So the act of sex is unique in that it is a physical union and it is a spiritual union those facts have tremendous application for us in this life and I think also more importantly in the life to come we have to understand those things about sex to, to do it properly um, alright so any questions about that before we move on let me have you let, let me read a couple verses here. I want to kind of just set the stage for the importance of this issue and I think that's probably you guys all understand it um, that does not need to be that point does not be, need to be belabored in this room. I'm guessing you guys understand the importance of this, but I still want to throw out a couple New Testament verses that really. Set the stage for how important this is. So, if I could get my um, two verses, one is First Corinthians six nine. Somebody can read that, and then the other one is First Thessalonians four three through five. First Corinthians six nine
4: says, "Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be dece- deceived: neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals." Can we keep going the ten? Uh, we'll inherit
0: the kingdom of God.
4: Yeah, yeah. nor thieves, nor the covetous, yeah. nor drunkards. Yeah, thank you. Nor revelers, nor
0: swindlers. Will inherit the kingdom of God. Yeah, thanks. Sorry, it was three ten. Mm-hmm. So, what is it saying? Does this mean that if you've ever committed fornication or committed adultery, you can't go to heaven? I don't think that's what this is teaching. In fact, no, I'll say it stronger: that that is not what this is teaching. But it is what it's teaching that if you are practicing that and are. Um, not repentant, there's no assurance of salvation for you. Does't mean there can't be repentance. there absolutely can be. Uh, but if this is if this describes you, if this is your practice, you have no assurance of salvation. So fornicators and adulterers is on this list as are effeminate and homosexuals. So it's an important issue. There's a lot at stake. In 1 Thess 4, 3 through 5. Whoever gets there first, go ahead and read it.
1: at the Same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word and declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. That's right. First, that's four. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm
3: questions. Questions.
4: Yeah. I it. So this is the will of God: your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality; that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. And that no man transgresses. Oh no, that's, yeah, that's yeah. good.
0: So, God means for you to be sanctified, and the Apostle Paul here connects your sanctification with sexual morality, or you know, conversely, abstaining from sexual immorality. He connects your sanctification means your growth in your walk in Christ with knowing how to possess your vessel vessel means body your body in sanctification and honor not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God so there's a connection here, Paul says, between your growth in Christ, your sanctification your holiness, and how you handle your body in morality in keeping pure sexually does that make sense? Just an observation. Alright, let's move on. Um, there's a passage that I really want to flesh out some in the New Testament, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 12 through 20. So we're going to spend the bulk of the rest of the time trying to flesh this out a little bit. Here, so this is right on the heels of the verses that Jordan just read to us about fornicators and idolaters, and adulterers not being, uh, not inheriting the kingdom of God. All right, I'm going to kind of treat these in sections of three. So we'll, we'll read 12 through 14, then we'll talk about it a little bit. 15 through 17, we'll talk about it a little bit. And 18 through 20, we'll talk about it a little bit.
2: First Corinthians, what chapter?
0: Uh, chapter 6. Thanks. So I think this is probably the most foundational teaching about sex in the New Testament, right here. There's others that are good, but we probably get the most information here than we get anywhere else in the New Testament. So how does it start? He says, let me just read the first three verses. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. All right, let me give you a little bit of background here. The Corinthians, who this, verse is, or this letter is addressed to, Corinth was a, a city in Greece, right? The Greek thought at the time was uh, dominated by a thought that the soul was good and the body was evil. That later became a hallmark of Gnosticism, which was a heresy um, that the New Testament Christians really had to battle. Uh, But it had its precursor, not in Gnosticism, but just in the the Greek philosophers um, at this time. So, the soul is good, the body is evil. And there were two directions you could take from that. One was that you should be super, super, super strict with the body. And I'm forgetting the the name... um, of that strand of philosophy, but but they were just you know fasting and beating the body and and being um, being very hard on the body was was how what they concluded based on that. But the other direction that they went, the other strand was that you could do whatever you wanted with the body, and it didn't matter. Uh, the body was evil, so just just you know do what you want with it, and that included sex. So th- so that was kind of the how people thought in the Greek world uh, and where these Christians in Corinth were. That was the the prevailing philosophical thought. Um, So they thought, as long as the soul was united with Christ, then it really didn't matter what you did with the body. You could do whatever you wanted. And Paul is countering that here. Um, So, what's he saying? When he says, food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food... But God will do away with both of them. He's pointing out that our bodies are perishable, but yet He says, "Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body." So He's saying that God cares about your body. God doesn't. We're not supposed to think like the the Greek philosophers at the time that the body was a throwaway; you could do whatever you wanted. The, it is very important that we practice morality with our body. So it's true that stomach is for food and food is for the stomach and both are perishable our bodies are going to perish. Um, but that does not mean that we can practice immorality. And then finally in verse 14 it says God has not raised not only raised now God has not only raised the Lord but will also raise us up through his power. So he brings in a verse about the resurrection. Why the heck does he talk about the resurrection here? What does the resurrection have to do with anything that he is talking
2: about? What you do could bring it with you? What's that? Because what you do could bring it with you in some aspect?
0: I think so. I think that's exactly right. So let's talk some more about our bodies and our souls. Um all right, so our current earthly body came from the dust of the earth. Our body is decaying and will eventually die, and it will return to the dust of the earth. The Bible teaches that very clearly. We see that in Genesis two: seven, Genesis 3:19, and then Ecclesiastes 12 six and seven all teach that fact. Our current bodies are... From the earth, they're going back to the earth. They're perishable. They're going to die. So, even though we lose our current earthly bodies when we die, at the resurrection, we receive a new body, a new heavenly body. Now, if we are in the generation that is raptured to heaven before we die, then uh, we, you know, it applies there too. Our bodies don't die, but we do get a new body. But assuming that we're not in that generation, I don't know. We very well may be. But for most of humans that have lived, when they die, their body, their earthly body, goes back to the earth. And when the resurrection comes, we get a new body. Does that make sense? Now let's talk about our souls. Our souls do not die when we die physically. We do not receive a new soul at the resurrection. Our present soul remains with us, and it transitions from an earthly life to an eternal life. And we, our soul is alive today in a way that our body is not. Our body is decaying. Our soul is alive. And in fact, our soul is as alive today as it will ever be, even in eternity. It may have a different reality in eternity... It will be in a different location in eternity, but as far as death versus life, our soul is as alive today as it will ever be even in eternity. If you want to look at a verse uh, that explains that, Romans 8 9 and 10 explains that well. Um, Jordan, you've given my verses for me let's can you read for me 10, Matthew 1028
4: hmm
0: we're going to talk. This, this verse will kind of illustrate what we're talking about.
4: And do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell.
0: Alright, you guys understand what he's saying? Why don't we fear those that can kill the body? It's only temporary. It's only temporary. Who should we fear? God, because Eternal kill. he can send our body and soul to hell. So, this body is temporal. I'm going to get a new body one day. If you hurt this body, this body is going away. You can hurt this body, it's okay. We should not fear those that can hurt this body. But our soul, we should fear. If somebody can send our soul to hell, which God can, obviously, that we should fear. So that, that verse really illustrates what we're talking about. Our souls are forever. Our current bodies are temporary. First um, Timothy 4, 7, and 8 uh, says, Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, for bodily discipline is only of little profit. But godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. So, what is he saying there? says bodily discipline is only of little profit. That's because of exactly what we're talking about. You guys can exercise, you guys can eat right, you guys can not smoke. Those are all wonderful things for this body. But they have no impact on eternity, and our body in eternity. So that's why he says they're only of little profit. But what is profitable? Godliness. It's the development of the soul in this life. Because that holds promise for the present, present life and the life to come. What you do for investing in your soul in this life will reverberate into eternity. That's what Winston was talking about today. And that's how we're supposed to, as Christians, spend this life, is investing in this life. Sorry, investing in our soul as we, and that's an investment in heaven. But if you invest in this body, that's not an investment in heaven. Does that make sense? So you might be convicted to invest in your body because it's the only body God's given you, and you're a steward of your body, and I think that's, that's appropriate if you're convicted in that direction. But you could have the most healthy, strongest, fit body you could ever ask for it doesn't mean that your eternal body is going to also be fit and healthy. And the opposite is true too. If you have a weak, unhealthy, uh, sickly, frail body in this life, but you've developed, you've invested in your soul, the godliness of your soul, what your heavenly body looks like has no bearing on what your earthly body looks like. So, you may exercise and not smoke and eat a certain diet and have a healthy body here, and that's wonderful, but it only goes so far. It's only of little profit. It has no eternal bearing.
1: I think the important questions are what, what are the bodily investments that we make that have spiritual implications right, for our soul in that sense.
0: So that's exactly the question that I want to ask. Is there anything we can do in this life that impacts our eternal body? And I think that Paul illustrates in this passage one thing that does. We'll massage that out as we go on. But I think that's why Paul is bringing up, getting back to verse 14, that's why Paul brings up the eternal body. He has the temporal body in mind through the rest of this passage, but he also very much has our eternal body in mind. We'll see that as it it goes out, as as it plays out. Let me stop there. and We've done the first three verses. We've got six more verses to go. Um, any questions on that kind of teaching on bodies and souls? All right. So let's uh, let's keep going. Verses 15 through 17. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Make it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. So what's he saying here? He's saying that... You, as a Christian, are in union with Christ. We talked earlier about sex being the one unique act that we have a physical union and a spiritual union with another person. But we are also in union, both body and soul, with Christ as Christians. Right? In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit enters our body and also enters our soul. So, if you have sex outside of God's purpose for sex, what Paul's saying here is it's actually, it's so evil that it's like taking a prostitute and having sex with her in the Holy of Holies. So, what is the Holy of Holies? Temple Yeah. So, in the Old Testament... um, The God dwelled with the people in the temple in the same way that he, in, in not just the temple, but specifically in the Holy of Holies, um, which was, the, the temple had three parts. There was the outer court, then there was the inner building, which was the holy place, and then the most holy place was the Holy of Holies. It was so holy that the, the high priest could only go there once a year. It was in the Day of Atonement. is described in Leviticus 16. And nobody else, right? Nobody else, yeah, exactly. Um, so, that's where God dwelled. And it's the same thing in the, in the New Testament. Basically, the analogy, when God lives in us, it's the same thing as Him living in the Holy of Holies. Our bodies, our souls, are the Holy of Holies in the New Testament. So, to go have sex with a prostitute in the Holy of Holies was, as you know, as awful of, of an act as you could imagine. But that's what Paul is saying, is is that's what happens when you have sex with somebody who's not your wife. Because you have God inside you, you are a temple of the, of, of the Holy Spirit. If you have sex with someone who's not your wife, you're bringing that into the relationship. And that's the analogy.
4: Well, also, like... If I'm if I'm thinking correctly, the holy of Holies, if if the Levitical priest entered without the proper sacrifice, and there was sin on his ledger, basically, um, he dropped dead. Yeah, right?
0: and that's why they didn't they attach, attach the bell the bell, yeah. a bell to him with so, a string. Yeah, so make sure. Yeah. So not only is in. it a horrific
4: sin. It's a, it's a swift. I think the uh, illustration also goes towards it's a swift path to death. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, in Proverbs, it talks about that, right? About the woman and the adult. Yeah.
0: Actually, so let me. I did this uh, in Dallas, but let me just read that real quick. That's a great, um, a great passage. So uh, I think it's Proverbs four. There's a story in Proverbs 4. Let me look at my notes here make sure I'm... So basically... Uh... Oh gosh, do I have it here? Sorry, let me look at my notes. So you lived with your
3: future wife and had sex with your future wife. And of course you got married. Does
0: that premarital sex have to be dealt with? I think so, because at the time it was, you were, um, it was not a proper union. So it's a repentance yeah. confession deal? Yeah. If I got
3: some adult boys that are.
0: Yeah, you did the same thing. So I digress. I okay. No, I mean, it's, it, I, the point here is not to drag out everybody's past into light. There's a lot of sin. There has been since the beginning of time. Um, in Christians area, inclusive. Christians inclusive. And I think in our current time, it's probably messier than it's ever been. Agreed. Um, there, there's, a, a, you know a lot of horrible things that people have done and a lot of regret, and, but there's repentance. So the point here is, that, is not that there's not repentance. Um, yeah, I want to make that clear. Well, So I think it's important, right, in this
1: particular moment, too, to clarify, right, explicitly what
0: constitutes sexual immorality. Yeah, good point. Um, the, so the word is, uh, the Greek word is porneia. It's where we get our, our current word for pornography. Um, and I think in this passage, the context implies that it's, um, it is an illicit act of sex. I think there are other parts of the New Testament where you can expand the meaning to more like lustful thoughts or, you know, um, immorality from, from a broader standpoint, um, but here it is; these, it's, um, it's sex because that's the, the act that brings the union. So I think in this context, um, it is sex and not the broader sexual immorality that, you know, lustfulness, pornography, and so on. Uh, that it can be in other passages. Yeah, and so I don't, I, I hear
1: you. I think, right, when I go to Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, right, where he talks about, he compares lust to committing adultery. Yeah. Which is, that is that is pornea yeah. in that sense, right? And so, uh, within, outside, inside the context of marriage, right, when we look at lust and pornography, uh, I think, for me, a lot of the place that I've come to is when we're talking about sexual immorality in this particular spot. We talk about bringing a prostitute into the Holy of Holies. That's what we're doing uh, in those particular moments. I...
0: In pornography? Yeah, Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, I, I think there's a great warning in yeah. that verse from Matthew. Uh, in it's that lust that leads to this eventually, but I would still definitely make a distinction between the act itself and the, the lust that, um, that is a precursor to that. In terms of the implications on the back side of that. Yeah, and we'll get to that some more as we go on. But yeah. It's two sins yeah. in there is a mental You've thought about it, so you're an
3: adulterer. But then if you act on it, you're embodying even more sins like...
0: Yeah, I still think there's two different things Very up there. Perfect. They're clearly related. Clearly, one is a precursor to the other. Uh, clearly, they're both sin, but I do think there's a
2: different consequence. Jeff? So, I ask a lot of pastors, I say, okay, for a young man, how far can he go without stepping across the line? And it's fascinating to me the challenge that the pastors have to answer that question.
0: And I ask,
2: you know, can you kiss a girl? Can you fondle a girl? You know, oh, well, that's too far. Oh, so you can kiss, but you can't. No, you really. You and I have had this discussion a little bit. That's your sister. Don't do anything with your sister that you wouldn't do with your own sister. When your mind starts to cross that line, God sees it as a union. He's now looking at it as a husband and wife. And I've noticed in my life, with the purity that I've done, God has blessed it. I would not cross that line with my wife for four and a half years until I was ready to cross the line and accept responsibility that she was no longer my sister and now I was thinking of her in the manner of my wife. And then I could move into a form of intimacy. You can contradict me if you want, but you get these kids going, stop, go, stop, go, stop, go. Oh, I've gone too far. Now I have to repent. And it's just a constant barrage of, temptation that they're going through instead of just establishing the line i don't have to kick the tires i don't have to check under the hood it's my friend it's my sister i'll build the relationship on that And if i step across the line why would i ever want to hurt my friend she's my best friend and now i'm experiencing something i've never experienced before in my life why would i want to do it with anybody else
0: well yeah we've talked about this before um I think it is a legitimate, exemplary conviction to come to, but I would leave it at conviction and not normative, simply because the Bible does not give us a specific line that we can or cannot cross outside of, of course, sex um, and lust. Those are prohibited.
2: Well, I mean, that's good for me. So are you saying I can go all the way to the point without having sex and still not be doing something wrong? Okay. No. Right, because we would say, so I, I, I'm i not in disagreement. I'm
1: interested to hear the distinction. But I think we cross the sin line when lustful intent exists. Right? Yes. So that 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 is an attitude or a posture of the heart, right? And so any... Action that's taken out of lustful intent is clearly sinful and across the line harmful to our sister in that particular case, right? So um, I think, you know, as I look at my own sons and daughters, uh, the, the conversation right off the bat is the discussion about what the motivation, the intent of the heart is Over. behind any kind of... There it is physical interaction. But, but before that, the thought life. Mm-hmm. First. That's we we You cannot do anything and have already have crossed the line in multiple
2: areas. Yeah, but we need to know the enemy. He has the ability to plant the thought. Do we entertain it?
1: Help me understand what you're saying there.
2: He has the ability to plant the thought. Yeah. But do I entertain the thought? Or do I reject the thought? Because the enemy can yeah. plant it. Yeah, 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 yeah. No doubt. yeah, no doubt.
0: Well, I can plan, plan it as well as. Yeah. Um, let me, I want to just make sure what I'm saying is clear here. I understand for myself, and I know basically every man I've ever talked to, that engine gets revved up real quick. Sure. And you go from zero to lustful intent, I think was the words you used, in a heartbeat. And we have to protect ourselves from going there. Um, and so, I understand the conviction that you're saying, and I, um, if that's your conviction, I very much, um, I you know, I, I affirm you in that. But the caution I have is just simply, we can't make rules of things that are not biblical. We can't we can't call those normative for everybody. So if you want to if that's wisdom that you want to pass down to your kids and say i think this is appropriate this worked well for me you should consider this uh, i'm i'm all for that but the minute we call it a rule that's normative for everybody we get into legalism
2: yeah and i don't think i'm calling it a rule i'm i'm more on the basis of like he's saying what's the motive behind the action and once your motive crosses the line where you no longer see it as sister then god starts viewing in that as an intimate relationship. You know, I can hold my sister's hand across the street just to be safe for her to cross the street. Or I can hold my sister's hand because now I'm turning it into an attraction. And now I'm starting to cross a line with motive, which is starting to move it outside of the sister, and now I'm starting to think about a form of intimacy. And when I do that, there needs to be an acceptance of responsibility instead of, well, I can go this far and I'm not really sinning, and then I just go a little bit more farther, and you know, and then all of a sudden I've got myself caught in a stop-go scenario. I'm not saying law. I'm saying common sense so that we don't face what a lot of us, I don't know about everybody here, but me in particular. I mean, if somebody would have given me some of that wisdom, because I wasn't a Christian, I was an atheist, oh, the headaches that would have saved me. The disasters that would have saved me.
0: Yeah. Well, let me go back to that. It was Proverbs 7, I think I yeah. said four earlier. And it's the story of this young boy who's going outside his home in the evening and he meets up with this uh, this harlot. Or this, um, yeah, she's dressed as a harlot. It's a woman um, who's married. And it, it describes this whole story in chapter 7. We won't read the whole thing, but it's a really interesting story. And then he, he gets near here. He... Um, falls under her, her trap basically and they eventually uh, have sex and, but what I want to show you is the consequences this is just to follow up with the, the thought of the priest getting killed when he goes into the Holy of Holies um, I'm going to start in verse 22 it says suddenly he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as one in fetters to the, uh, to the discipline of a fool until an arrow pierces through his liver, as a bird hastens to the snare, so he does not know that it will cost him his life. It's a powerful step. Now, therefore, my sons, listen to me and pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways; do not stray into her paths. For many are the victims she has cast down, and numerous are all her slain. Her house is the way to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. Powerful stuff, and we do well to listen to what he's saying there. Let's get back to 1 um, Corinthians passage. So we'll, we'll go to uh, 6, 18 through 20. Let me get back. You read it? Um, give me just a second. Let me just summarize the um, thoughts on those three verses there. So in the act of sex, a man and a woman are united both physically and spiritually. No act other than sex unites the body and soul with another human. Our earthly body is the temple of Christ. Therefore, to have sex with someone outside of marriage is to defile Christ's temple. It's a sinful union with another, while at the same time being in union with Christ. All right, let's go 18 through 20. Go ahead and read that.
4: Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body.
0: So Paul is saying here that sexual immorality is a separate class of sin. As we said, it it's a sin that combines the body and the soul. Um, with another while at the same time being in union with Christ. And furthermore he's saying here that we are sinning against our body. So what body is he talking about? Mm. I think he's talking about our resurrected body. So why do we think he's talking about the resurrected body? For one if this was our earthly body, then the verse just simply wouldn't make sense. What do I mean by that? The um, There are many sins there are, that we do in this life that can damage our earthly body. So if I am an alcoholic and drink my body to death. If I am doing drugs, that absolutely can harm our earthly body. If I'm a glutton, that can harm the earthly body. So, it would just simply be an untrue statement if he had our earthly body in mind. There's lots of sins that can harm our earthly body. Conversely, sex outside of marriage unlawful sexual intercourse does not necessarily have to impair our earthly body. I could have had sex with a prostitute last night and stand before here naked and there would be nothing wrong with my body. Now, sex can impair the current body, the earthly body. It can. You can get a sexually transmitted disease. So I'm not saying that it can't, but you can put a condom on and prevent the spread of a sexually transmitted disease. So, unlawful sex does not have to affect your earthly body. So, for those reasons, just logically, we conclude here, he's not talking about the earthly body. And when he brings up in in verse 14, the resurrected body, it's clear there's no other reason for him to bring that up apart from if if he has ultimately a resurrected body in mind here. So I, I think that's exactly what Paul is referring to in verse 18. The immoral man sins against his own body. He's talking about a resurrected body. And sex outside of marriage is the one sin that will affect your resurrected body. Unconfessed sex outside of marriage. No, I think, um, any, I think you can have repentance for sure, but that does not eliminate the consequences. Of an eternal subpar body. Yeah. Now, what that looks like, Dave? I do not know. I do not know. But I do not think
2: it eliminates the consequences. What do you? Okay. So, what do you feel about masturbation? Some guy looks at a girl on the screen and masturbates to that.
0: Well, if he's it if it's lustful, the yeah. then it's sin. But that is not union. And that's why I make a distinction here with um, pornography, with lust, with masturbation. Those are sins. There's no question about it. Those are, um, if you're lusting while masturbating, that's going to lead you down that road. But it is not union. And he he has in mind here union. Gotcha. And Ephesians
3: mm-hmm. talks about, if you do it once, you're going to have a continual lust. For you. So you're going to go... It's hard to older yeah. bolder and bolder and bolder until you're just in the parking lot somewhere for five minutes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So distinction and consequence, some unknown eternal impact to our resurrected, glorified Negative body. Eternal. Yeah. Negative eternal consequence. Um okay, so let's What hope, truth do we speak into um, a person who's committed sexual immorality in this case? Where
0: we were we say to them? Yeah. Well, same thing to any of us. it's There's still hope with Jesus, there's still forgiveness. Um, and you uh, want to limit that those consequences as as quick as you can if you stop now and um, you know practice sexual morality going forward that's absolutely going to limit the amount of damage that you're going to do and if you continue to to commit this sin, it's going to make it worse and worse and worse Mm -hmm. and I think in hell as well it's it's the same thing there are different there are consequences in hell just as there's consequences in heaven and then Paul talks about abstinence being a way out. Well, if you're, he just said that you know being single is um, it's a good thing. You can control your burning. <laughs> yeah, if you can.
4: Yeah. I'm blanking on where it's at, but um, what is the reference to? And how do you connect in,
0: it's better for a man not to touch a woman? It's the very next chapter in 1 Corinthians, chapter 7. He goes right into that. Okay. From, yeah, right after this, that passage we just read. Yeah,
4: so, I, like, <laughs> I don't think you're at all trying to downplay the not devastation thinking. of sexual l- sexual immorality in regard to lust, You're just making a distinction between actual fornication and all other sexual sin. There is a distinction in your mind. It is not you. And this is where you get that distinction. Got
0: it. So, we're playing with keeps. We're playing for keeps. These things have... Our whole life has eternal consequences and Paul teaches us here that sexual immorality has a special consequence on the body in a way that no other sin in this life does Mm. there's an extra importance on this so what do we do about it? Um, let's talk about some application for a moment Um, I think drawing a line Jeff as you've alluded to um, being as absolutely careful in this area as we possibly can and thinking ahead of time not being passive about this. If we're passive, that's going to, be, that's going to lead us. That those desires are strong, so strong, we're going to get ourselves in trouble. We have to think about this ahead of time and think about ways to not go down that road that that young man in Proverbs 7 went down. So this takes active thought on our part to how do we avoid this And how do I help my sons and daughters avoid this? So I think it's definitely something that has to be proactive. Um, We have to have a plan in place.
2: I mean, I just, you know, what's, I mean, what's the thought process going on inside the head? I mean, you know, and I, I, I don't, I don't see myself having a struggle going out and sleeping with another woman because I'm just at that point in my life where it's just nothing I've entertained. But, you know, you constantly get these images hitting you from whatever screen you're possibly staring at. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I reflect on is if you see a sexually provocative woman and you entertain that and you think about the, the demonic spirit behind it to make that sexually provocative, Provocative woman, and you start playing in that game. Well, all of those other men who have, you know, been promoted to do whatever they have done with that particular screenshot, you're you're subjecting yourself right into the same demonic atmosphere as that is. And don't even go there. And then the next, I always, you know, I have daughters. I always want to say that's somebody else's daughter. Do I want? Do I want? Somebody to think about my little girl that way, Mm -hmm. and when I start using these trains of thought, it starts shielding me. I mean, of course, you shut the screen off. You just say, you know, enough's enough. I mean, get this stuff out of here. You know, you you reduce, you basically cut that stuff out. But when you find yourself entertaining a thought like that, you contradict the thoughts with, you know, this is somebody else's daughter. Would I want somebody to think of somebody about my daughter like that? I'm subjecting myself to demonic activity now. All those demons running around with all those other men that this has been manipulated in. This is a spiritual warfare. And am I, am I going to go jump into that sandbox? And, and that's what usually helps me repel those types of situations so that I'm just like, you know what, I'll, you know, I'm not going there. And I'll say one more thing if I can, hopefully. I'm going to tell you, when God gives you a deliverance, Treat it as a gift, and be thankful for it, because I had a deliverance for 18 months. Never thought about it, never went there, never did nothing with it. And then all of a sudden I started bragging what a good little boy I was. And I thought, well, you know, I can play in the sandbox a little bit. I mean, I haven't even gone there for 18 months. And God told me, okay, you don't appreciate the gift, now you got to earn it. And every day i got to fight that now, when he gave me a deliverance, and I didn't appreciate the gift. If God gives you a deliverance. Don't even go there. Appreciate the gift. Because if you play again, he'll say, fine, now you've got to earn it. And then it's a struggle and a fight every day. Just...
0: Thanks, Jeff. The, so the command here is flee immorality in 618. That word flee means to seek safety by flight, to escape safely out of danger. I guess that's what I was trying to say with the being proactive, um, y- y- you have to flee. This is not something that we stand up to in the moment. Hmm. We have to think through ways, we have to think through our life, and how, do, how am I going to help myself to avoid this temptation? The temptation on the computer screen, the temptation on the billboard, on the TV, walking movie, down the walking down the street, the emotional relationships at work, all these things. How do I avoid... I have to be proactive and flee those things and not let it get to a point where it's, you know, I'm in the moment. Once, once you're there, God help me. I, you know, it's very, very hard. The, the goal is to never let yourself get to that situation and being proactive to help yourself avoid that situation. And the second thing I would say, so that's one as far as application. Second is accountability. talked about it a little bit in the last session. You absolutely need to have other men in your life that are watching over your soul. And you've got to bring this stuff up with them. And it's, that's not a foolproof way to avoid it, but you've got to let other people, men that you trust, know what your struggles are and how you're doing and how can they help you with this. It's just a a fundamental part of the Christian life is to get Christian elders in your life that are watching over your soul. For you young guys, get a group of guys around you, maybe just one other guy, maybe three or four, that have the same desire to be pure, to practice sexual purity, and say, hey, this is our desire. Let's talk about this. Let's meet every couple weeks, and let's help each other to get to our wedding nights pier. It's a incredibly important goal, it's one of the most important goals you could ever, ever have in your life for you young guys. And get some get some guys around you that have the same goal and help each other to get there. It's incredibly
2: important. I'm sorry. I can't tell you how much it saved my tail having accountability, brothers. I mean, I sit there and think, yeah, but I got to tell Mark on Wednesday, so I'm not even going there. Yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well,
0: guys, the, w- one thing that for me was a context for for my studying this. I grew up in the church. I heard a lot of sermons on sexual purity. I'm very thankful I did. I took those to heart, and you know, unbelievably grateful that I did. But what I heard growing up in church was you don't have sex before marriage because you don't want to get a girl pregnant and you don't want to get an STD. That was the that was the gist of it. Temporal, context. it was completely temporal. And I didn't, I wasn't smart enough to think about this, but you just put a condom on, and you can avoid those things. And that's where a lot of the church is today. It's okay to have sex. Put a condom on, and it, nothing could be further than the truth. Of course, I want to avoid an STD. That's good advice as far as it goes, right? That's that's not the issue at stake. The issue at stake is so much bigger than an STD or an unwanted pregnancy. I can treat an STD, but even if an STD is untreated, it's limited to this body on this earth. What's at stake is our eternal bodies and our eternal souls. And our actions in this life absolutely will affect our bodies and souls in heaven. There's a lot at stake. And as dads, we need to teach our sons and daughters that exact truth because I think there's so much more motivation. If we're thinking right, and if our kids are thinking right, that their hope is in eternity, then that truth goes so much further so much further than you know. You don't want an unwanted pregnancy. I get it. You don't want an unwanted pregnancy, but it, it's much more important. Than that. Hmm. Dave, you want to pray? Father God,
3: thank you for this time. And the Consequences of of sex outside of marriage. Is not just related to the consequences of the earth, but eternal consequences that come from you. And that should just leave us shaken in fear. So help us to grasp the paramount picture of fornication. And that's the uh, consequences you're going to hand out in, in eternity. Lord, be with all our kids. Help us to say the right things, to be proactive, like like I said, to be um, there as uh, a loving parent, a loving friend, and uh, just help us to live closer to you. And um, thank you that you love us enough to give us your son, to... Uh, A horrible death. And um, Lord, I just thank you for loving the likes of us. We love you and we thank you and we pray humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Man, that was a cancer. I
1: didn't say that we can do best in our body. That will go with us. That's the only uh, thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's kind of a unfair uh, one one-two punch there for you. Man. I
4: know, man. <laughs> Out of the firing line. Yeah, I was going to turn it off, but I don't want to screw
3: it.